Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives, educational insights, and future workforce predictions to make sure you thrive on your career journey. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. Please remember to subscribe and share this podcast with your community as we would love all individuals to thrive in their career journey. Hello and welcome to another episode. We are delighted to have the all-inspiring and driven Emily Casey on the show. She is the founder of What The Health and an experienced community builder in the startup space. Emily's career journey has been full of twists and turns, including dropping out of medical school five years deep. She shares her insights on finding your calling and the importance of taking time to reflect to understand what it is you want to achieve. She also shares refreshing insights into the world of healthcare, dealing with self-doubt, and the relationship between technology and healthcare. This episode is perfect for anyone considering a career in startups or studying and feels a bit lost. Hope you enjoy. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. Medicine defector, perhaps? Yep. Yeah, I think that that seems to be sticking. People really like that. (laughs) Yeah, I like it too. And then founder at What the Hell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, obviously. (laughs) All right, cool. Let's hope I get it right. All right, three, two, one. Emily Casey, community builder, medicine de facto, and founder at What The Health. Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. Thanks, Tyson. Did I get that all right? De facto is the only thing. I'm like, is that like a, a relationship title? Like almost de facto. I don't know what that is. Oh, man. I hope my parents are listening. They would be laughing in their sleep about my comments there. My grammar and language is always something I need to improve on. So I'm glad you're here to correct me. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you. I mean, apart from this Melbourne lockdown, um, things are good. Things are good. Yeah, cool. And how are you going, Danny? Yeah, I'm going well. Excited to have a good um, chat with you tonight, Emily. Yeah, likewise. I'm so excited to delve into all the nooks and crannies with you guys. Yeah, cool. So let's explore the first nook. So what are you currently doing, Emily? Because I know that we spoke a little bit before we jumped on air around a few different projects, but can you provide the listeners an accurate description around what you're doing better than my introduction? For sure. Look, I'll give it a crack because I feel like I'm still figuring out how to describe it. Um, So most recently, uh, I have become a community strategy consultant for health and health tech, uh, which is a really broad umbrella term. Um, But basically, community has sort of emerged as a, we'll say, new profession um, in a lot of areas. It's kind of a fun combination of growth, partnerships, people and marketing. Um, and that overall strategy and long-term engagement piece, which a lot of organizations are turning towards. Um, and given I've done quite a bit of that previously, as well as a bit of my healthcare experience, I've been lucky enough to mix the two together. And um, that's kind of what's emerged just purely by market demand, which is hilarious, but really fun. Um, and then on the other side of things, I've also launched, I guess, my own little community off the back of a newsletter 
um, called What the Health, which is a go-to source for everything health tech in Australia. How neat. And so how did all this come about? Like, let's let's rewind back to your, I suppose, undergraduate space. Because I, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the, the show, or Dan and I both wanted to get you on the show, was this awesome uh, feed that I saw in my LinkedIn. And, and if, if you don't mind me, can I read just a little bit of the feed? Because I thought it was so cool. I dropped out of med school five years deep, and it was the best decision I ever made. It was one of the hardest things I've done and I don't know, uh, and sorry, I didn't know what came next, but I knew I wasn't happy sleepwalking through life and couldn't explore what it was out there with the heavy load of med and working. So I did something about it. Now let you take it, take over. I love that post. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's my uh, corny graduation post only three and a half years after I I stopped. (laughs) But I will say it's, it's accurate. <laughs> so neat. So take us back to that moment when you were like, hey, this is not what I want to do currently. Look, I think like anything, it was a bit of a, a niggling feeling for quite a long time. Uh, I always wanted to do med. I was one of those people. But also I think you know, when you're a teenager or a kid, you have a very limited view of the world. Um, and we're taught there's specific streams and only a few options. And I really loved it for the first bit. Amazing people, you know, for a great purpose, helping people, learning a lot. And I sort of realized, though, as I went through the clinical placements and um, the course as well, that there was a very set linear pathway. Um, I remember so clearly my first lecture, they put up this graph and it was like, oh, here's the next six years of your life. That's the med degree. And then, you know, you've got four years of general training and then six to 10 of uh residency or whatever training program and then you're a consultant and now you're 40 or 50 years old and that's your life Mm. and that probably should have been a a warning sign for me because I've never really liked following the traditional path and having things planned Uh, and sure enough that sort of came through um but as I went through med school and started working on the side in, in bars and nightclubs and you know doing extracurriculars I realized that there was just so much more out there Um, in terms of opportunities. And I also saw a lot of the problems in the healthcare system. So it was great to be able to help a patient by diagnosing them and prescribing a certain thing or whatever, but it was still very much that one-to-one effect and you were operating within the systems you were given, kind of like a cog in a greater machine. And you felt really powerless to do anything about that greater system and those problems until you were sort of, you know, 15 years deep or 10 years deep or whatever and had that authority. And I was never very good with, you know, seeing problems I couldn't do anything about and not being able to creatively implement solutions. Um, So I realized, you know, more and more that maybe this wasn't the pathway for me. Um, But in something like medicine, I think there's such a strong culture of, you know, once you're in, you're in and you just have to do it. And why would you not do it? Because so many people are after those opportunities and you should just be grateful. So that's a, it's a really tough thing to do to even explore the idea that you maybe don't want to go that pathway you were so set on. Do you mind if you just unpack that, like with some of the conversations that you may have had with your, your family and friends around that? Cause I think there'd be a few people listening who perhaps are in that type of position where they're like, you should be grateful for your opportunity or grateful for your role. 
um, and that's the feedback they're receiving externally, but it's obviously not aligning internally. For sure. I think that is the hardest part, to be frank. And it's probably only been this past 12 months or so that a lot of people in my life has, have actually got on board because, you know, I've really solidified that next step and what I'm doing, um, as well as I suppose there's been a lot of media coverage on just how bad it can be for doctors. And, you know, despite the fact that I went to my friends and family outside of medicine and told them, you know, this lifestyle is pretty rough and I don't think that this is the path for me. Everyone's like, yeah, but, you know, it's great money and you'll always have a job and that security and, you know, you've worked so hard to be here. And I very much see their points. Um, but I think, you know, we often don't get a chance to explore what we really want in life, um, both from, I suppose, you know, what, or creating that value system um, and what success looks like for us. And I think that can be the most, it is the most important thing, um, but people have their strong opinions and, and always will. Oh, I don't know how to how to navigate this one actually look frankly everyone has an opinion but I think you really just need to get in touch with what you want and for me that came in the form of taking a year off and disappearing overseas to literally get space from people I actually called my parents from Mexico one morning and told them I wasn't going back to med school yes. <laughs> we're big Love fans that. of that we're big fans <laughs> of that notion too Going overseas and having a break and having a gap from the noise. It's really important sometimes. I totally agree. Um, I think for me, that was the biggest thing. And a lot of people, right, we don't get that space to step back and reflect. Um, it's, it's so go, go, go. And the further down a path you go, the faster it, it becomes and the harder it is to either take a break or step off it. Two questions, Emily. You said... um. I went into medicine because I was one of those kinds of people. For anyone out there that's maybe considering studying medicine, what did you mean exactly by like those kinds of people that get into that area? Good question, Daniel. I think I was very much that type A, super driven and ambitious um, person who loved science and loved problem solving and classic sort of high achiever, probably too much so, you know, to the, my own detriment. Um, and for me, it felt like at the end of high school, there was engineering, law or medicine. And, you know, I know I'm privileged to have had those pathways and whatnot, but that's sort of what you're, you're given. And I didn't like physics. Uh, law was never going to be for me. So therefore medicine was the default. Um, and also I think I just love people. So it became, you know, how do I create good in this world and, and help others medicine sort of was the default answer for me yeah and when you come time to the actual timeline of making that decision to go overseas and then not um go back to university to do the medicine do you, do you have memories of a process you went through or things you wrestled with in your own mind internally oh definitely I think for me a lot of it was I felt like I didn't have the capacity to do anything outside of medicine, to be honest. And I've spoken to quite a lot of people recently who are trying to leave. And that's something, you know, we really all grapple with. It's you do something for so long and you don't even know what else is out there, especially when you go in fresh out of high school. 
And even though medicine is full of the smartest people out there, you your confidence is often broken down in that program uh, because it is so competitive and so intense and you can very easily lose your self-confidence and sense of self, which happened to me. Um, and you also become defined by your career or professional things that matter to you, right? And so I put everything into medicine. I moved into state. I um, worked a lot because I, my family couldn't financially support me. Um, I had some health issues and I, I had to go through that as well just to, you know, try and get through med school, which is no easy feat. And to question that, you know, the thing I'd put in everything into might not be for me was, it seemed like insanity. It's like, am I having a mental break? <laughs> um, but, you know, when it starts niggling and then that little voice just gets louder and louder, you know, something might be up. And I guess it, those sorts of things can also be reflected in your physical health, which I think happened to me as well. Um, and I was just so, so unhappy, but I didn't even know it because that was just my normal state. And so I realized I had to try and explore other things, which I did through, you know, info nights and ended up taking an internship uh, in corporate and institutional banking just to, to try finance before ducking overseas. Um, so there was sort of, you know, that let's explore a little. But for me, I think I also just gave myself permission to lean into things that I did enjoy prior to medicine. So that was business and traveling um, and by leaning into those other parts of myself, it sort of gave me the freedom to explore maybe who I was beyond medicine and start to deconstruct that identity. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a really, really beautiful story. That's so neat, Emily. I love that around the um, just giving yourself permission to like lean into some of those thoughts and feelings, I think is such a good point that a lot of people probably, they, well, I know for a fact, they suppress those types of things. They go, no, nah, just get on with the work that I'm doing, or this is my path. Um, so good on you for having the courage to be able to step out of it. Um, I'd love to know like that moment where you developed your idea of what you're currently doing now. And was there a particular, like, is there a clear moment in your mind of when that occurred? I suppose there is a pretty clear moment about... 14 months ago when COVID started. Uh, so I'd been in startup world for about a year at that point. Um, you know, I had my own early stage startup and then managed was managing community at Stone and Chalk at the time. And I had actually rejected health completely just because I felt like I needed space. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, you should go into health tech. That makes sense. No, that's boring. And at the time, regulations were a mess and all these things. So I went into fintech and cyber and, you know, just explored everything, which was really great. Um, but when COVID hit, health tech became the hot focus. Surprise, surprise. Um, and people started being like, oh, there's this hackathon. Oh, there's this company you should speak to. Can you mentor? And I was like, what do I have to add as a mentor? And like, oh, you know, you did med. That's great. Okay. And at that point, I was actually super insecure as well about the fact that I had, you know, left med school. And I actually only formally dropped out. Um, would have been March last year too. So for me, I, I always felt like a failure. Um, for a really long time too so I didn't think that even you know how I went through all those years it, it didn't really amount to anything in my mind uh, which is a reflection on me but when people you know started asking for advice and I found I could help them 
and there were all these companies and doctors and people who didn't really know whether it was you know how to commercialize a business or the where to go to find particular health information and things like that I realized that there was a bit of a problem there especially if I was being seen as an expert in the field um so that sort of was what sent me on this path. Can you can you share with our listeners around like this aspect of community? Because I think community is the term community is quite like thrown around quite a lot in the startup world. And for someone who's wanting to enter the startup world, who perhaps may have some transferable skills for a role like that, can you unpack that a little bit more? For sure. You're very right. Community is the hot new word, <laughs> it seems, and it's it's being branded everywhere. No one really knows what it means. And I think like there isn't really a right definition either. <laughs> I suppose from your, how did you find yourself in that community space? Was it just a national, uh, sorry, a natural next step from having the conversations that you did and, and bringing the information that you had from from other roles? So we'll take a step back. Um, I started in the community role probably for, it was November 2019. Um, and honestly, I fell into it. So once, you know, I eventually came back from traveling, I had my own early stage startup, which was a wonderful learning experience um, and moved back home to Melbourne. I was in Sydney previously and had no clue what I was going to do next. Um, but I knew that I liked startups and it was actually really hard to get a job at the time, just in terms of, you know, the job market wasn't great. And this job of community manager came up at Stone and Chalk. And it's like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. Uh, startups and whatever, it could be a good stopgap to figuring out whatever I want next. Um, and it turned out it was actually a really interesting culmination of all the things I loved um, in life. So I really loved people and problem solving and partnerships and learning the ins and outs of companies and things. And I guess creating interesting ways for people to engage and get value out of things, which sounds very high level. But at Stone and Chalk, it's a community of 70 startups in Melbourne or was at the time. Um, and my job was to do everything from yoga and fun lunches to designing the programs and things to help these companies scale and commercialize and work with other partners in the ecosystem, um, like big corporates and investors to sort of do that, which was really interesting and a steep learning curve. And so I basically fell into it by accident. Um, and then the I space has grown and community now encompasses everything from marketing to growth to partnerships to events. And it really does have a different meaning in every sort of setting. A lot of social media has been branded as community now, but community is ultimately the bigger picture and strategy behind, I guess, a company's sort of engagement, both with its employees and external um, factors. And it's usually, you know, not necessarily the immediate return on anything. And it's quite hard to tangibly create metrics around um, but it's, I guess, that that warm and fuzzy thing that's built around it. My favourite example would be a Lululemon. Um, they obviously have a product, which is the, that active wear, but for, off the back of that, they've created all these values and, and national 
oh sorry, international community and movement where if you buy Lululemon and you go to their yoga classes and follow their ambassadors, then you're a part of that community and you feel like you belong and, you know, you subscribe to those values. And that is so valuable in this day and age where, you know, really everyone's just looking for connection and belonging as well as a way to fulfill their interests. So that's a bit of a tangent, but that's what community is in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. I'm feeling um, warm and fuzzy now. Yeah. <laughs> We're creating a community right now in our little <laughs> discussion. <laughs> yeah, cool. And so I suppose that's that's the thing that you're, you're working on now, isn't it, with What the Health, like bringing people together to really, I suppose, change the way that community looks at at healthcare? Yeah. So what I ended up uh, finding out last year when I went down this little rabbit hole was that there was such a big disconnection in that health tech space. And understandably, because it was a kind of a fresh ecosystem, we'll say, or or new for startups um, and not super developed. And uh, what I wanted to do was I guess, connect a lot of these dots that hadn't seemed to be connected in Australia and make it just fun and accessible. And a lot of healthcare and health tech things can be quite dry um, and dull. And, you know, every, every industry has its own language, healthcare in particular and business. And so I thought that it'd be good to, I guess, bridge those barriers um, and just bring everyone together in a fun way. And so it started as a newsletter Um, just because it seemed like, you know, a very easy way to curate and bring together good content. And off the back of that, a little community has formed, which is amazing. And now we get to run events and looking to set up some programs and things to ultimately bridge a lot of those gaps um, and fuel that connection that is really required to, you know, make sure that we create good quality businesses that are actually, you know, commercially viable, filling purpose, um, and, you know, creating the most impact in our healthcare system and not letting things go to waste. Like, you know, if you have funding, but you don't know how to get into the right uh, clients or hospitals and things like that, then you'll eventually fail. And if we can sort of, you know, get those dots connected sooner and bridge some of those gaps so that people don't have to go through that long slog and make that easy, then hopefully we can accelerate the health tech community. For someone who doesn't know, like, because I, I don't know much about health tech at all. The, the, the first thing that I, comes to my mind is the telehealth <laughs> experience. Can, can you give some examples of some further breakthroughs in, in health tech recently? Oh, man. So just the other week, there was this sensor developed that is literally like a, a millimeter that can be implanted into like your brain or your body. Um, and that can just monitor all your sort of bodily functions. Pretty sure that came out of the US, which is just bonkers. Um, Google is mining all the different data that's coming out of, you know, the internet, as well as making deals with different hospitals and things to try and build directories and algorithms to sort of predict healthcare um, outcomes and, and provide that insight, which is super, super exciting. Wow. That, like, so do you think... I'm not sure if I'm going to phrase this question very effectively, but like, do you, do you think there's a point in time where the relationship between tech and medicine crosses the line? It's an interesting question. What do you mean by crosses the line? Because I think there are a million ethical dilemmas and, and issues here, but it's, it's hard to say with crosses the line. 
Yeah. So probably, so my narrative with, um, I've watched a couple of docos. This is a bit of a tangent, so we can edit this out if we need to. But I've watched a couple of docos where there's been new health um, or new, I suppose, technology that's been brought onto the, the the market and then hospitals have either used it or doctors have prescribed it. And then it's actually had a side effect on a person. Um, and I think it's just the lens that I'm looking through and that the notion of I'm always mindful of like the reliance of technology or AI when it comes to like decision-making on perhaps health um, and then the ethical challenges that perhaps come with that as well. Um, I've kind of scrambled the question, but do you kind of know the, 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 where I'm trying to land? No, for sure. With any technology, right. And developing technology, there's undoubtedly so many problems that come with it. We're, we're fixing one problem and creating a hundred more and AI and the ethics around that and things definitely come into play, um, particularly in terms of biases with algorithms and accuracy and things. So there is a lot to work through. Um, and there's so many arguments around that. And I think that comes down to a lot of the regulation and the tech sphere as well. It's just a bit of a problem. But on the flip side, I think, you know, there's the cutting edge technology that will take time to develop but there's also the opportunities for more mainstream established technology and establishing technologies just to take what we have with healthcare and completely transform it, you know? So at the moment you have to go to a doctor and see them for 10 minutes who can then send you to another doctor and it can take you six months to a year if you've got something really wrong with you and go through a thousand loops. But, you know, if we can sort of capture some of that data earlier and make some of those processes a bit smoother, you can end up scaling um, the healthcare system and making it more accessible, more enjoyable for patients. Um, it's, it's quicker, so you're not going to lose people along the way. And it's just a lot you know, more equitable as well. So technology has the opportunity to save so many lives and give healthcare to those who never had it before. And I think that's kind of, I guess, I used to have the same concerns where I focus on and I think, you know, you've got to be optimistic <laughs> with these things. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same with any tech in any, any industry. Like there's always going to be pros and cons or problems that come from certain developments in tech in any space. A hundred percent. I guess it's just a bit more complicated, right? Because lives are on the line, which is always the case with, with anything healthcare or medicine. But to that, I also say, what about pharmaceuticals? You know, like there's a lot of pharmaceuticals that come through and they always have the good in mind, but you see the lists of side effects and they are endless. And there's good, strong percentages of people that get them. Um, but at the end of the day, if your option is nothing or something, what are you going to go with? And it's about weighing up those risks and creating frameworks to sort of combat that. Oh, you yeah, Danny. No, no, no. I was going to say before I let you get any deeper into the um, philosophical ethical dilemmas, but you got another one. So you go again. No, no, no. I, I was actually going to change the, change the tone and go more the entrepreneur side of yeah. things, but you go there. I'll hold my question. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Before we move forward, let's take a moment to hear about our sponsorship. As career coaches, we are constantly providing resume advice and guidance. 
Zygadox is a digital platform that provides the best up-to-date resume templates that are easy to use, allowing us to maximize our time with the client. Zygadox can enable you to create your own digital resume platform, like we have done here at Arrive and Thrive. Check out the link in the bio to learn more and see how it can support you, your clients, and your community. Thanks so much. Let's jump back in. So from um, from your perspective, Emily, when what advice would you give to students who are perhaps in a university course um, and then they're going through their course and they're going, you know what, this is not necessarily landing with what I wanted it, what I thought it was going to be. Um, I've really got an interest in in business and and trying to take an idea or a concept and and scale that into either um, my full time gig or a side hustle or or just a community project um, on a voluntary base. But can you give some insights around that and and what you went through? Oh, I guess I didn't really know a lot about that space at the time. To be frank, I think I went to a hackathon at UNSW. They have a really awesome facility there for entrepreneurship. Um, and that was my first exposure to, to that world. I, it never really crossed my mind. I thought, you know, if I didn't do medicine, I'd go into consulting, which is kind of another classic lateral shift. Um, but that sort of exposed me to creating new ideas for the first time. And it wasn't until I came back and went to a bunch of open days at General Assembly and Academy XI at the time where I saw all these founders and learned about startups. Um, and I think also during my internship, Westpac has uh, Reinventure, which is a venture capital arm with a bunch of, of startups too that I glossed over at some point. But entrepreneurship was never really of interest to me, to be frank, but I really liked the innovation space. Um, but for anyone who is considering it, I think you are crazy not to pursue it. And, you know, every university seems to have a program these days. If universities don't, there's 101 accelerators or pre-accelerators and hackathons you can go and learn more about or even free online courses like Y Combinator has a great free startup school um, and the government's investing super heavily into it right now. But to be able to, you know, test and trial your own concept or business and launch something, I think is just invaluable, even if you fail. But going through that process is, is going to be, you know, one of the top skill sets of the future. They already say, recruiters say they want entrepreneurship and in, in people, but I think it's, it's so true, right? Um, you're going to be left behind if you don't have that skill set. And I wouldn't say you necessarily have to take any extreme jumps. You can definitely do it as a complimentary mm. thing uh, or hit pause for a while, but yeah, indulge your curiosity. Absolutely. I think um, that's such a good point because I feel like a lot of those programs and services are so accessible these days. I remember when I first decided I wanted to start a business, this is before Arrive and Thrive and my first business failed, <laughs> but I literally just went to like business.gov or something. And I was like, man, this info is so dry. This is not what I want. And, I, and all I had was like to talk to to someone else who had started a business. And even then it was a different industry. So I didn't really understand. So it's so cool that there's so many different resources out there these days and, and support systems where people in uni can, can go and connect and go to a hackathon, which is pretty much just a, a big problem solving convention in my mind. <laughs> so it's pretty neat. I think you hit the nail on the head too, Emily, with like, the um the skill building and the 
capability building when you do do your own thing. Like you almost get a more general and a wider array of skills and mindsets that you need to like mindsets that you need to approach what you're working on. So you kind of develop a lot more skills, not all the time, but a lot more skills generally than if you're just in a job and you're doing that same job for a few years, you really do get to fast track that development. I think I've even noticed that myself and Ty, you've probably the same, like from doing our own thing, it's really helped us harness skills that are then applicable in organizations as well. And the second thing I think that you were speaking about that I really makes me think about is I think young people now want to align to an impact in society or the world. And, you know, there's the UN sustainable goals and there's 20 key goals that, um, you know, the world needs to be a better place. And I think a lot of people coming through university or school now want to impact that area. And then sometimes you have to go out and do it in that entrepreneurial startup space if if you really want to have a big impact. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of the exciting thing, right? We're shifting into this world that does have more focus with Gen Z on on impact and purpose. And I think that's what made me fall in love with the startup space. Um, as you were talking, it just totally was that light bulb thing that I keep always forgetting to say, but startups really do give you the opportunity to, you know, move quickly, learn a lot and feel like you're actually making a difference. You really see that, um, that outcome immediately and you can scale that, right? Whereas I feel like in so many other jobs, to your point, you kind of just learn this one thing and you don't really step out of your lane. Um, and, and that can be quite frustrating, um, but I think it's also a personality thing too. Hey, <laughs> yeah, not not for everyone, of course. But it's I think it's that the people that are interested in going down that path, it's um yeah, it's a dynamic space. Emily, a question we ask all of our guests: Is there a particular book that has been a bit of a game changer for you along your journey? Ooh, this is always tough. Mm. It's a tough question. We ask the tough questions here on the podcast. Love it. <laughs> go hard or go home. If you need time to think, I can ask another question. <laughs> I think I think I've got it. I'm pretty sure it's sitting on the a bookshelf behind me. I, I'm a really big reader, and by reader, I mean audio books, um, because <laughs> I can't actually read anymore. <laughs> but. Uh, I would say this one semi-recently, it's called Playing Big. Um, I think, you know, books really resonate depending when they come to you in your life. And this one for me just came at the right moment. It was sort of, um, I guess, at the end of last year, beginning of this one. And I wasn't really sure what to do next. And I didn't really have the confidence to back myself to really go all in. And this book just really reframed that for me. Um, it's by Tara Moore and truly incredible. It's for women uh, specifically who are looking to play big. And I'm very skeptical of that stuff usually and uh, personal development, but it gave really good practical strategies and frameworks to work through um, for anyone that is sort of doubting themselves or not sure what the right move is. Um, it really does a lot of that inner work, but also external, realistic, practical perspective setting. Just added it to my wish list on Audible, <laughs> Emily. I'm a, I'm a huge Audible fan, so I love audiobooks too. Thanks love for sharing. It. I've got a couple of questions I want to dive into. So the first one is, and it might they might play together actually, so I'll ask them both. But the first one is you mentioned about that doubt and that 
um, self-confidence thing that you had when you left medicine and then after that. So I want to know, do you have any tips for listeners around how you overcame that? And then also I'd love to hear more about your gap year. And if that had any positive effect, and if so, I imagine it did. So what positive effect did it have on, you know, yourself personally, but also then your your career now and I guess when you've came back, how how it's shaped you? Sure. I think a very complimentary question set. The self-doubt thing is always an issue. Hey, um, I think for most people, it's so hard. And if you're anything like me, I'm, I mean, I used to not buy into it so much, but sometimes when you come from a really conservative background um, and you are female as well, it is a little bit compounded too, because, you know, I came from a certain set of expectations and I was supposed to get married and have a stable job until I probably had children and looked after my family sort of thing. So um, when, you know, my family put those expectations on me, it felt like that was all I could really do. Um, and to break that down is, it's quite challenging. That's going a bit heavy and deep, but I mean, it's true. Right. Yeah. Um, and when I was leaving medicine, I genuinely did feel, as I mentioned before, like I couldn't do anything, but I think it's about having a good support system and finding people who will back you, um, maybe taking it with a grain of salt when people you love or, or respect don't back you and, and really just listen to those who do as well as that little inner voice. And then confidence can only really be made by doing things, right? People can lift you up, but it's about taking those steps. So for me, I felt like every little step I took, you know, hitting pause on medicine was a really big one because it felt like I was falling behind at the time, which in retrospect seems really stupid. But it, it was. Um, and, you know, doing that internship and then going overseas and traveling and doing that alone as well in, in Latin America, every little thing sort of built that confidence and put that self-doubt behind. Um, and then I guess it was just about finding those mentors and supports. And if you don't have them in your life in terms of people, you can find them in books and in podcasts and things like that and create the right mental space um, for you to sort of overcome that, um, which for me was super, super important, especially during COVID and lockdown here in Melbourne last year. That was a, a big one for a lot of people, I think. Um, and it's just about creating those frameworks and structures. And it'll go up and down, but it's it's overcomable. <laughs> and, when, and when you were overseas, it's so well put. You're, you're really good at articulating yourself. Um, when you were overseas, at what point did you start to then think, okay, when I come back, I'm going to create a startup? And can you talk us a little bit through that discovery process once you did the bit of the rebuilding? Oh, sure. Um, I guess overseas, as I mentioned, it's sort of – it didn't give me a whole lot of clarity in terms of what I wanted to do. It just gave me clarity that I wasn't happy. And I guess things that mattered to me in life, I did a lot of that reflective woo woo, like, you know, what do I want in life and value setting and defining success for me. Um, and when I came back, I, I didn't decide I wanted to do a startup, to be honest. I just liked the idea of startups. Um, and I put in an application and I remember thinking, oh, you shouldn't do this. It's so bad. You're, you're never going to get it. It was that sort of self-doubt. But the more I've done things, it's that sort of jump and then worry about it later. Like no matter what your mind tells you, always throw yourself off the cliff and then you can 
can undo the damage. Um, so I put in that application and, you know, went through a couple of rounds of interviews and couldn't believe I got into the pre-accelerator program. Um, it was called She Starts, which was run by Blue Chili a few years ago. And it was a game changer for me. I got to hang out with 40 other amazing women and learn the basics of, you know, creating a really solid, I suppose, concept for a startup and customer validation and product market fit and then pitching to a bunch of investors, which was the most terrifying experience of my life. Um, but I guess that sort of just, you know, built in me the skills to be able to do those things myself. I realized I never wanted to find found a tech company, at least solo. Um, so eventually, you know, put the, the, what do you call it? Shut down? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I killed the startup. <laughs> uh, eventually, you know, it's it. I didn't get funding that first time, but got some grants and um, won some competitions and things and just realized I didn't really care about building a fintech startup at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I think that's sort of, I fell into it and just kept trying things, to be honest. I didn't have a strategic pathway. I did eventually realize I wanted to run my own business one day. I couldn't tell you when or what that was. It was sort of more about finding something I think that mattered enough to me and that I enjoyed enough because quite clearly from my career path, you can see that I'm not really good with sticking with things, it seems, or perhaps I just like variety. Uh, <laughs> it is the spice of life. And so it was more just eventually I found a problem that aligned with my skill set and I was passionate enough about to, you know, go full bore at and feel like I was failing all the time and just learn new things and just keep giving it a crack. Thanks for sharing. It's really nice to hear like the whole journey, you know, 360 almost, not 360, but just it's, it's a big career journey. <laughs> it really is. I love that, that last line that you said to Emily around, identifying a challenge and then matching your interests and your skills to, to meet that challenge. And I think that's, that's a really good point when it comes to trying to develop a business or a project or, or any cause is like, okay, well, how does my skill set, knowledge and um, I suppose identity capital fit with that particular challenge. So it's super neat. Thanks. Yeah. It's very, uh, Kai, is that how you say it? Yeah. Ikigai. Yeah. That, that model, <laughs> seen that a hundred times. And I used to think it was kind of BS. Um, or, you know, you, you see models, but you never think you're going to find it. But at the end of the day, it really is that beautiful, sweet spot. I just think we can't force these things, hey? Yeah, definitely. That's a good, really, that's a really good point, I think, to, to end on too, is that you can't force these things. I think so many people, and especially young people, they're in the pressure cooker of making a decision. And it's like, what are you going to do? Where, like, where are you going to study? What are you going to do after school? All that type of thing. Um, and as you said through your story, that space is is what is sometimes needed to, to really gain clarity and to block out the noise and to really listen into your internal voice, um, even if that voice is sometimes <laughs> doubting your capabilities, is to sometimes listen to it and then tell it to turn off in the right moment and and take action. So. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your, your narrative and your story. I really gained a lot from it personally. Absolute pleasure. It's been fun, guys, and, and thanks for having me. Hope I didn't ramble too much. You definitely didn't ramble more than Ty. <laughs> <laughs>
thanks for coming in though. It's been really amazing and actually quite inspirational and uplifting to hear your story. And um, yeah, I think that was a really courageous act that you made back when you decided to leave med school, but I can definitely see it's working out for you. And I'm really excited to see like what you can um, do in the next few years as well. Thanks so much, guys. It's an ongoing process, right? And it, it always never feels okay at the time, but things work out. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you could please leave a review or share this episode with someone who is on the journey of developing a meaningful career, we would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, look after yourself and the people around you.